Good Saturday morning, and welcome to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook on this wonderful Saturday morning. Gosh, thank God the heat is over. I hope you enjoyed last week's show. We uh, taped the show and had some wonderful guests, Jim Dill and a bunch of others that really gave some great information. Uh, If you have any questions about last week's show, don't hesitate to give me a call, 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. We are streaming live from WLOB.com, WLOBradio.com. And, uh, you know, these cooler temperatures are just amazing. I'm so happy. I'm sleeping better at night. You know, the windows are open. The AC's not running, you know, and we can get out there and actually do a lot. The weather has been perfect for gardening, uh, but we have to be a little bit cautious about these cool temperatures at night and plants continuing to kind of thrive a little bit. So with all this wonderful rain we've had and the heat that pushed all these plants, I'm starting to see a lot of things that need a little bit extra fertilizer. Uh, You know, we'll talk a little bit about the vegetable garden and how that's coming along. But boy, look at those hydrangeas out there. My Annabelle hydrangeas in my yard are just amazing right now. Uh, They're big, they're bushy, they're full flowered. They have not flopped even in all of this heavy, heavy rain. And they're doing absolutely amazing. And of course, all the paniculata hydrangeas are coming on right now. So your PG types, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about all the new dwarf varieties because there's a ton of them that have come on the market and bombshell is one variety you should take a look at little lime which has been around a few years little lamb that has been on the market for probably five plus years and a new one called bobo now how many hydrangeas do you need i don't know but with these new dwarf varieties the nice part is you can fit more in the space that you have. The bloom time is very similar on most of these, so I wouldn't recommend you put all the varieties. Maybe pick one, and that way you're able to get a dwarf variety into your landscape. It'll stay smaller. Uh, Bobo seems to be a very, very dwarf variety. It's new. I don't have a lot of information on it, what its eventual size. They're saying 3 by 3 4 by 4 I always kind of use that with a grain of salt, you know, just because you just don't really know until it's fully grown in our landscape. Plants never stop growing, so it's going to get bigger than that for sure. But with any of the hydrangeas, it's very, very easy to keep them pruned back and keep them in check. So the way to keep your hydrangeas pruned and in check, all the paniculata types, in the spring or in late fall, we prune back to two-thirds the size you want the plant. So if you want it at four feet, we're going to be at two and a half to three feet. We're going to prune it back, shape it up nicely, and then it's going to put on a foot to 18 inches of growth and set flower bud the following year. So really easy to kind of retain height on most of them. The other thing is when it comes to summer, and I would say we are definitely into summer looking at fall. We're almost August, folks. July is over, and let's face it, August is a summer month, and then September is a fall month. Any way you want to look at it, the main summer is halfway over. I know, it's awful, but just to really depress you, the poinsettias were just potted last week, okay? The mums are three-quarters of the way grown, so we are on our way towards that blizzard that'll be coming before you know it. 
I'm such a bright light on Saturday mornings, I know. And But summer is all about bright colors, oranges, reds, burgundies, all of the different darker colors. In spring, when you look at your gardens, a lot of times it is very, very pastel. Pinks, lavenders, blues. Summer, you start to get into hot colors, reds, oranges, burgundies. You know, the grasses are coming on with plumes. So, you know, black-eyed Susans are coming on now. They're looking amazing. Your daylilies with the oranges and the reds and the yellows, all hot colors. Rosa Sharon will be in bloom shortly. And let's not forget hosta. The hosta we have just put out on the benches 25 or 30 new varieties of hosta. And they were supposed to be ready for late June. Unfortunately, they've taken longer with all this heat. They kind of slowed the growth down, but we just put them out this past week and amazing striations and colors. Uh, everything from yellows to blues to bicolors to white edge to yellow edges, uh, dwarf varieties, big varieties, a great selection in all three stores now. So if you're a hosta lover, which many of you are, don't hesitate to take a look at the new hosta on the benches. And right now, through Sunday, they're buy one, get one free. So it's a great deal right now. The other thing that's coming up at Estabrooks, and I, I always want to kind of plug this ahead of time, is our annual yard sale. Now, this year we're doing things a little bit different, okay? We will have specials in all three stores, where in the past it's just been at the Yarmouth store, okay? But Yarmouth is still going to have a traditional yard sale. Now, I wanted to promote this because this is a great way for employees who work very hard all summer and don't have time to have a yard sale at their house. We allow them to bring everything from home. Okay? So it's not only things that are on sale at Estabrooks. You know, we'll have perennials and trees and shrubs and scratch and dent stuff and things we've gotten credit for, things we need to clean up, items we're discontinuing. We'll all be at rock bottom discounts. But on top of that, there'll be antiques. There'll be all these other things. I was going through my garage yesterday and found a bunch of old tools, old boxes with beautiful labels on them, stuff that I've been holding on for a long, long time. A lot of it is my great-grandfather's when I purchased his house 18 years ago. And we moved into a new house last February, like I, I have told you folks many times, and I moved all of that over to the new house. And now's the time to kind of let that move on, and maybe someone else will be able to enjoy it. So a lot of old tools, a lot of old boxes, antiques. I've got papers in there from the 1940s. I've got all kinds of different things. Now, I'm not putting the papers in there. Sorry. <laughs> I'm keeping those. They're really cool. I've got some stuff from the Kennedys and, and all kinds of type of things, but unbelievable gardening tools old-fashioned stuff that really are going to be kind of neat for a collector. be great wall art, um, you know, just not going to fit. You know, I keep holding out for that camp, but I don't see it on the horizon right away. So I'm moving on. But yard sale, August 3rd, August 3rd. So it's coming right up and uh, always a fun event. And you never know what you're going to find because we have such a diverse group of employees with different interests. And you, 
every year I end up going home with something cool, something different. So no early birds. Okay, we open at 8 o'clock. All right, I'll be there at 7 with the rope gate up, making sure nobody gets in early. But there'll be all kinds of specials. So wanted to make sure we put that out there for you. So And that hasn't, I don't think, even gone on an email or even been out there yet. So you're the first to hear it. The other thing today we're going to have is we're going to have Betty Ann Listowich from uh, Norpine Landscaping and also president of the Maine Landscape and Nursery Association. We'll be having her come in the end of the hour, and we'll be talking to her about some hydro seeding, why you should hire a Maine Landscape professional, and what you should ask for questions when hiring You know that professional landscape uh, professional and where you can go to the Maine Landscape um, website and all kinds of things about hydro seeding and what she does for a business. So a lot of good, good stuff. Let's talk a little bit about my vegetable garden because if you haven't got yours in, you are too late. Okay, it's over. Uh, maybe some herbs and some pots might be a good way to go at this point. But I'm having a few problems in my garden, and I'm sure you are. So if you are, don't hesitate to call 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. I'm having a little problem with blossom end rot on my tomatoes. Um, I haven't seen any blight issues. I haven't seen my plants are growing well, but I have had a few tomatoes that have had a little bit of blossom end rot. So I've put some copper sulfate on them, and I've also sprayed them down with a little bit of lime um, to help out also. So, you know, that's kind of showing up if you're having problems. I'm hearing some people that are having some blossom end rot, and I too have noticed it in the last week or so. Um, Japanese beetles, um, have been raising a little bit of, of problem on my basil. Uh, so I dusted them down with a little bit of diatomaceous earth, uh, haven't had to do a lot more than that, uh, picked off some of the, the beat up leaves and, uh, you know, used a bunch of it. So there's not as much basil there right now, but it's flushing out nicely. Cucumber beetle has been a little bit of a pain. A little bit of seven on that is what I've been using uh, since the plants are quite young and I got started so late. Uh, They're starting to set fruit, looking good, but a little bit chlorotic, kind of on the yellow side. So going to use some some, uh, garden tone this week to brighten those up, get the dark green, give them kind of a kick in the pants to get going. Since we have some cooler temperatures, I'm fine with doing that because I think we've got enough moisture and we'll let kind of those rains kind of wash it in and, and kind of things come on a little bit slowly. Cabbage moth, that little white moth has been flying around. I've been using some BT on that or bacillus, uh, caterpillar killer, uh, you know, just spraying those down. I know there's no caterpillars there. I haven't seen any any problems in the holes, but holes in the leaves. But definitely the moth is out there laying eggs. So I've been hitting my broccoli and cauliflower and uh, cabbage for that problem. And, oh gosh, the weeds. They sprouted up overnight. All this heavy rain. You know, my lovely wife Sue has done a great job of keeping on top of the weeds. uh, And and was out there working the ground the other night. And uh, I'm going to get in there and kind of get a little bit finer this week and, and get in between the rows. She was a little nervous about that, but did a great job. Good job, honey. Keep that up. Uh, anytime I don't have to weed is a good day. So 
So all kinds of things going on in the garden. If you have problems, don't hesitate to call 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. We have a bunch of questions that have been submitted. And the first question I have is from Anna in Falmouth. I have red thread in my lawn. Do I need fungicide or what do I need to get rid of the get rid of the red thread? So red thread's been very, very common over the last few weeks. With all this rain, uh, red thread typically shows up. It's a common, common problem when we have a lot of rain and have a lot of issues with nitrogen specifically uh, leaching out of the soil. So, Anna, the trick is you need to fertilize. Okay, that's going to kill the red thread. It's going to knock it right out. The other thing I would recommend at this point, you might think about putting some lime down. Okay, so what that will do is that will go ahead and that will increase the pH. It will make the fertilizer more available to the grass and it will kill the red thread. I would recommend the Espoma Summer Revitalizer. It's a great organic fertilizer or certainly we have some bonide fertilizer also that would work. That's great for summer revitalization also. And I hope that helps. And we have Loretta on the line. Good morning, Loretta. Good morning. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. We have a serious problem. We have a family of woodchucks uh-huh. living on our property. We have rock walls both in the front and the back of the property, and they are enjoying the uh, rock walls. They sun themselves on it, <laughs> and they're very fast little critters because when we go out to try to do something about it, they just jump into the rock wall and hide. Right. What do we do to get rid of them? Okay. Um, your best thing is to probably either buy or rent a have-a-heart trap. Okay. Okay, and this is a, a great way to catch them. It's best, is this a recurring problem year after year? Uh, we had them two years ago, and we were able to get rid of one single one, but mm-hmm. this year we have a family of four. Okay, so the female stuck around and, yeah. uh, you know, is proliferating. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the trick is to really catch them, and uh, you can hire a professional to do it, or you can purchase a have-a-heart trap. Uh, we have them at work, uh, and we've used them for years. Mm-hmm. I find the best root is the have-a-heart trap, and then you take them and release them out into the woods, you know, five or ten miles from where you are. Nice farm country, you know, areas where there's going to be a lot of room. They can have their fun. Uh, At this point, the younger ones are self-sufficient, so you really don't have to worry about if you catch the mother and, and, you know, you're going to harm the babies. Uh, So at this point, you know, that would be my suggestion. I have found an English muffin with peanut butter works very well. The trick is you really need to attach that to the trigger mechanism. Don't Mm. just set it in there. The other thing with have heart traps I recommend is the doors fall down on on the uh, groundhog. Okay? And a rather large groundhog has a very long tail. And a lot of times what will happen is that tail will actually impede the door from shutting. And they can back out. So I recommend putting a rock or a brick on the ends of the doors. It will put extra weight on that, and when the trap comes down, it will slam the tail, and the actual groundhog will run into the trap, not backing out. Uh, So, you know, what will happen is you will be very proactive in catching them for a short period of time. It's important that you wear rubber gloves because they can smell the human scent on the trap. So be cautious about that. And then once you catch them, you know, it's the best way is to just put a towel or a blanket over 
the trap, that will calm the animal and put it in the vehicle and take it down the road and then just open up the trap and they'll run out. Um, But the blanket or towel is really important because it calms them. Um, You know, just picking them up and they're going to rattle around. They're going to really get stressed. Uh, So they're a pain, and I'm sure they're doing all kinds of damage to your lovely plants. Yes. And the one other thing I would recommend is if you see them first thing in the spring, start trapping then. If you can catch the mother before they have babies... That is the best thing. And in the spring, when they first emerge, it's really important they're hungry. So it's easier for them to be caught. Okay. Okay? Okay, yeah, because we've noticed that he'll hide in the rock wall sometimes for a couple days where Mm -hmm. we won't see him at all. Well, the likelihood he's coming out at some point may not be when you're around. That's the nice part about the habit heart trap. You may also catch some skunks. You may catch some other things. If you catch a skunk, it's okay. Again, just cover over the trap. They will not spray if the trap is covered over, typically. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. A friend of mine had the same problem. He he caught a skunk, and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, a little little tense there for a while. Absolutely. You know, um, I have moved many a skunk in my day. It's not a problem. You can go ahead and just cover that trap, and you'll be fine. Great. Okay. All right. I appreciate the phone Thank call. Thank you so much for the information. All right. Have a wonderful Saturday. And, uh, you know, if you have a question, don't hesitate to call 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. We know you have lots of choices when buying plants and garden supplies. But wouldn't you rather come to someone at your local garden center where you know us and we know you? Someone who knows Maine soil, Maine climate, and knows what plants will thrive here. Someone who will make sure you find what you're looking for here or at one of our other independent garden centers. We support each other and work together to satisfy you. Wouldn't you rather come to your local garden center? We're the Independent Garden Centers of Maine at MaineIGC.com. Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Mespoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food, and you can use it for everything you plant. Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com slash videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. What's better than one new plant in your garden this summer? How about two? Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk has tons of magnificent plants that are now buy one, get one free. Choose from perennials, roses, rhododendrons, lilacs, blueberries, ground covers, and many more. With so many plants at the height of their summer beauty, it's a great time to get back into the garden and do some planting. Don't know where to start? The garden pros at Estabrooks can help. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. 
Whether you're visiting for the summer or enjoying a vacation at home, the last thing you want to do is waste precious time, especially in the garden. Esther Brooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk makes decorating your home with beautiful plants quick and easy. They've got a great selection and great people here. I can always find what I need. It's just a wonderful place to shop. It's right down the road for me, too, so that makes it convenient. To learn more, visit EstherBrooksOnline.com. Esther Brooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrooks. And boy, unbelievable Saturday morning. I'd like to thank Loretta for calling. If you have a question, don't hesitate to call 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. Yard sale. Debbie just informed me I'm going to be on the radio at 8 o'clock. So I won't be there to man the rope, but someone will be. So... Uh, Saturday mornings, obviously, we've changed the radio show from 6 to 8 to 7 to 9. little feedback from all of you that it was a little too early and that you wanted it a little later so you could listen and also call in. So don't hesitate to call. Uh, I'd like to thank Loretta for that wonderful question. That's kind of a lot of times I overthink things. You know, some questions are just very simple and don't hesitate to ask because there's many people out there dealing with woodchuck problems there's many people dealing with a lot of different things out there you're not alone so don't hesitate to call 775-1310 you can pick us up uh, live at wlobradio.com and pick up the podcast at estabrooksonline.com and we've got a question from mike in old orchard and his question is i'm having a huge problem with ants this season my lawn is just like a sand pile. Can you let me know what to use organically and or if I need to go synthetic, I can. So, Mike, ants have been really bad this year. I have had a problem at my house. Uh, We've done a bunch of different things. A couple things I would recommend if you have problems with mosquitoes and you're going to have a professional come in and treat for that, you may talk to them about doing a ant and tick rate on your mosquito control that way you're getting full coverage a lot of times it's a lower rate for mosquitoes so when I had Bartlett tree come and do uh, my mosquito uh, control at my house since they will carry us off the deck and we like to enjoy our our summer evenings you know have dinner out there Um, we've got quite a bit of wetlands just behind our house and and the mosquitoes can be quite aggressive so if you have someone doing that for you talk to them about that the other thing you might look at is diatomaceous earth we've talked about it for slugs and snails and stuff like that but that also will work Uh, they don't like to crawl over it it will cut them and and kind of become a problem uh, you know in their habitat so that's a that's another way to go if you're going to go synthetic you can go with you know like a bonide ant flea and tick granule the one thing about a lot of these granules the ants think they are food so they pick them up and bring it back to the nest my suggestion is is if you're using a synthetic use as little as possible keep it as tight an area as you can 
where the major infestation is, and then you can spot treat after that. So I wouldn't recommend you necessarily do your whole lawn unless you're having a major problem, but that's how I would attack the ant problem. They have been quite aggressive this year. I think with all the rain, they've been pushing into the house also. We've had a lot of ants in the house this year. And so, you know, diatomaceous earth, great way to go. Very easy, simple, organic way to take care of them. And or the bonide, flea and tick, and ant granules. So, <clears throat> ants are always going to be a problem. You know, you there's many other things we can use, but diatomaceous earth works very well and don't forget to wet down your plants and dust your plants for those slugs and snails i have noticed a big drop in the slug and snail population in the last couple weeks uh dude i think everybody has really been proactive um you know the other thing is conditions the heat and humidity they were very active and if you got out there and used your sluggo and your diatomaceous earth you probably knocked the infestation way 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 back now were cooler temperatures, those will come back and the infestation will start to rise again. So preventatively use that diatomaceous earth in this good weather. You know, just moist down the plants and go ahead and, and let the uh, let Mother Nature do their thing. You know, just sprinkle that diatomaceous earth on to all those lovely plants and you'll knock it right out. We have Alan on the line. Alan, good morning. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good. Have you Good. decided how you're going to use your gift certificate yet? Yes, I wanted to thank you. All right, you you're very welcome. Much. I will definitely use it this weekend. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Hey, I got a few questions. Okay. Um, one question is regarding perennial baby's breath. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to be blooming for me. Okay. And are you starting it from seed? How are you? How are you doing it? Well, it's it's been in the ground for geez, like maybe a year and a half. Okay. Um, so it's it's a lot of growth, but no no flowers. Okay, I'm wondering if you know just we're tr- killing it with kindness kind of scenario. Too okay. much fertilizer, too much compost. Baby's breath likes to be stressed. Um, okay. If it's too happy, you know what I would say is try to let it wilt. You know, um, that will kind of stress it a little bit. And what will happen is the foliage nice and dark green. Yes. Okay. My suggestion is let's try to try to pull the water back. It, it's, it likes dry, dry soil. Okay. And uh, cut back on all fertilizer on it. It really, really loves to be, you know, kind of on the lean side. Almost like a ornamental grass or something Co- like that. Correct. Yep. And, and with the stress, it will basically say... I've got to bloom. I've got to reproduce. So, um, you know, that's typically the problem. If it was an older plant, I might say it might need to be divided, but uh, it sounds like it's young enough where it shouldn't be the case. Okay. Another question is um, the ivory hollow dogwood? Yes. Okay. There's a, a couple things. Um, one is I have actually three of them. One is, is in, um, I guess, uh, part sun, and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have those, uh, this, I guess it's called the spotting, mm-hmm. the, the purple spots it sure. gets around this time. Um, and the other two have that, and they're in containers. Okay. They're in pots. So the ones that are in the pots have the spotting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, um, I, I tend to think that probably the one in the ground, <clears throat> excuse me, probably is is more acclimated and in, it doesn't dry out in between or doesn't stay too wet, you know. Uh, the ones in the container probably are kind of going wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry. 
and you know are you watering the foliage when you water them in the containers i am yeah okay that's a big no-no with with ivory halo dogwood okay we want to keep the water right off the leaves probably some preventative spraying i'm surprised that you're not starting to see some signs of that showing up in the landscape also uh it's a pretty common problem um we're seeing it showing up in the nursery it's just with all this heavy rain we've had it's just a perfect conditions okay is there anything you could spray on it or fungicide or copper sulfate would work um you know though where they already have the problem the likelihood is i would just let them drop their leaves clean up the leaves well are you going to plant those out in the landscape or keep them in containers probably containers because i use them uh, what i do is like in the winter time um obviously they have the, the beautiful stems so mm-hmm. i put like um you know evergreens around them sure and sure. the evergreen boughs they they help protect the plant as well so okay okay i try to keep them in there i would probably how how long have they been in those containers Maybe a year and a half. Okay, okay. You're probably getting to the point where that container's really root-bound. Okay. Um, one thing with red twig dog was they like a lot of moisture. So what you may consider is putting a saucer underneath the pots if you don't already. Okay. Uh, and, and when you water, the water will go down through the pot, and the water will sit in maybe an inch or two of water. And, you know, a year and a half on, I'm not sure how big the pot is comparative to the root system, but... The likelihood a year and a half, they're probably rooting out and probably getting quite pot-bound. Okay. You may find that you start to get some root damage in the winter months because of that, and they may actually decline in future springs and summers. Uh, Okay. You know, with anything that you're planting in a container above ground through the winter, you got to be cautious about things getting too rooted out. That, you know, soil in between the pot and the root system helps insulate, and once they get fully rooted out what will happen is you'll start to see decline. So I suspect it's probably a little bit of stress from not having enough area to root out and also the summer heat and rain. And then, of course, they love moisture. So we've had plenty of rain, but, you know, if they dry out in that summer heat, did they wilt hard at all periodically? Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's the onset which opened up for the spotting, you know, that stress on the plant. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably the case. So in the future, well, would those plants, you know, be ready to be planted in the ground or hey, do I should I get new ones? Or Yeah, a lot of times what I recommend, anybody who's using, you know, trees or shrubs and containers is you, you plan for the season. And then at the end of the season, you say September, early October, you take them out of the containers and you plant them in the ground or heal them in the ground. And then in the spring, you can either lift them and put them back in the container, take some of the root system away, add some new soil, uh, and that way you kind of rejuvenate and refresh the plant. Keeping them in the container over the winter, deciduous plants tend to do much better than evergreens, but again, you run into that situation where you're just constantly running out of soil, you know, to root into. I see. Okay. All right. Okay, that sounds good. I have one more question for you. The okay. uh, endless summer. Yes. Endless summer is blooming great along the sides, like I mentioned last time, mm-hmm. but the top is, is not growing. Okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> not it setting blossom. Earlier. <laughs> well, I mean, we're at the end of the rope now. Um, okay. Y- you, you don't want to fertilize again. I actually have a question, too. We're going to address this throughout the show. Um, I, what I would recommend, don't fertilize anymore because we're basically August, you know, here now. Mm-hmm. And my suggestion is 
you may get some late bud set as we kind of go along here. Um, it's getting late, though. You should see some buds starting to form. I sus- okay. I suspect what probably has happened is, you know, you got those side shoots that came out that were probably off old wood. Um, they set flower buds. You may get, an, you should get another set of flower buds to set at this point. When was the last time you fed them? Uh, it was beginning of the month, I believe. Why don't you go ahead and give a light fertilization? You know, it's been four weeks. We've had a lot of rain. Uh, you know, we so do about half half strength of what you normally would do, um, and then you know consistently water. Uh, okay. That way, we'll continually flushing out the the fertilizer, but it'll give us just enough juice, kind of to to hopefully set some more flower buds. Um, I'm sure in the heat, kind of some of the flowers kind of took a little bit of a, a, a damage. We're seeing a lot of that right now. Don't hesitate to take a few of those flowers off if you need to. Okay. Now, if I protect, if I protected all the old wood really mm-hmm. well during the winter, I mean, w- would that be you know beneficial? Yeah, I mean, if you have the opportunity to take like four stakes and put some burlap around those stakes, it'll allow the snow to fall down in and help uh, you know protect. The other thing I recommend on endless summer: do not, I repeat, do not clean the leaves away from the plant. Let them actually fall down into the center of the plant, mm-hmm. and kind of that will actually insulate. I never clean my my endless summer hydrangea until late spring, after okay. it's starting to really start to to put on some growth. And I find those older leaves inside the plant help protect, and it's it's not a dense protection because by the time endless summer really drops. It's been frosted. They've really kind of stiffened up and are, are kind of almost brown and, and crinkle in your hand. And mm-hmm. so it gives a nice airflow through there. It doesn't mat out the plant or, or create crown rot. So leave those, those, um, those leaves to fall down into the center of the plant. So don't fill the rest of it up with leaves or evergreens or anything. Just give it... You know, give it a little air. Yeah, I mean, if you want to use some fir boughs or pine boughs or something, uh-huh. that's fine. I just always worry about holding moisture in the crown of the plant. So okay. if you do, lean them against the outside of the plant, you know, kind of at an angle, but don't really get into the center of the plant. Don't put, like, pine needles or, or shredded leaves in there because that's just going to create a situation where mice are going to want to, you know, make their nest in there for the winter, and you're also going to create a problem where you're holding a lot of moisture. That's a good point, and I might damage some buds or whatever. Absolutely. Now, the, the top, do I cover the top as well? Or? No, leave the top leave open, the top. and the reason, I want the snow to fall down in and okay. help insulate inside there. So really important, don't cover the, the top. Um, I tend not to ever cover the top when I burlap a plant, and I like to have it on stakes so that it's outside the growth of the plant um, or just touching those those branches. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you very much, Tom. All right. Thanks, Alan. Okay. You have a good day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. You know, good, good question. We're going to also address the problem with endless summer hydrangea a little bit later in the show. Uh, But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella's Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earth-life compost, 
Its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutrimulch is nutrient stabilized with compost so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. What's better than one new plant in your garden this summer? How about two? Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk has tons of magnificent plants that are now buy one, get one free. Choose from perennials, roses, rhododendrons, lilacs, blueberries, ground covers, and many more. With so many plants at the height of their summer beauty, it's a great time to get back into the garden and do some planting. Don't know where to start? The garden pros at Estabrooks can help. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Whether you're visiting for the summer or enjoying a vacation at home, the last thing you want to do is waste precious time, especially in the garden. Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk makes decorating your home with beautiful plants quick and easy. They've got a great selection and great people here. I can always find what I need. It's just a wonderful place to shop. It's right down the road for me, too, so that makes it convenient. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host, and you are listening to us live at WLOBradio.com and streaming. Uh, you can pick up our podcast at estabrooksonline.com. We are going to have Betty Ann Listowich from Norpine Landscaping joining us. Good morning, Betty Ann. Hi, how are you, Tom? I'm well, and also president of the Maine Landscape Nursery Association. You're yes. a busy woman. Uh, I, as are you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're always busy. Uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, MELNA, or Maine Landscape and Nursery Association. Let's start there. Sure. Well, MELNA was established in 1970. It is a professional association of folks in the horticultural industry um, to promote our members and educate them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have ongoing education. We have community workshops. Um, we do um, some sort of community uh, volunteer program each year where mm-hmm. we do something as a landscape association and help out a nonprofit that um, could use our services. We have our annual trade show and um, meeting where we put on ongoing education seminars. Um, and we have a professional certification program within our membership as well. Yeah, and we have a golf tournament coming up, I believe, right? <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. The third annual Melna Golf Tournament. And there's a chance, if you get a hole-in-one, to win $50,000. I thought that was pretty cool. That is very cool. The so. folks in our in our organization that are working to put that together are doing a terrific job. sounds like it's going to be a, a great, great day. It's out at Toddy Brook, right? Absolutely. Toddy Brook, and it is Tuesday, August 6th, and the tee-off time is 9 o'clock. So great, great uh, opportunity. You know, we give a portion of that to charity, and, uh, you know, it's a great way we we, uh, are able to raise some money for the association, but also give back to a great charity also. Exactly, yeah. And, And it's been great turnout and steadily growing every year. Um, and you don't have to be a Melna member to come play. 
uh, anyone is welcome, and mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity to meet some new people, check out a course if you haven't played Toddy Brook, and um, have a possibility of winning $50,000 in cash. Yeah, I like that. I guess I might have to play. So um, you can visit www.melna.org and click on the events button to register, you know, or, uh, you know, certainly you could just give me a call and I can pass on the information or email me at tom at estabrooksonline.com. But Betty Ann, tell me a little bit about Melna has a certification for landscape landscape co- companies. Um, tell me a little bit about the main certified landscapers and main certified nursery professionals. Yes, I am certified both as a nursery professional and as a landscape professional, so I can speak personally to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a terrific program. <clears throat> Folks that have years of experience, have educational knowledge, are um, encouraged to apply for and receive their certification. It's a four-step process. These are the folks that you go to that have the background and the knowledge um, and the continual, continuing efforts to improve their knowledge within the horticultural field. we're the folks that, that know what we're doing. Absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's an attempt to make sure that um, when, you, when you go to a phone book and you look down through the list, you see a number of, although no one goes to phone books anymore, do they? You go <laughs> online and you look down through the list of all the potential landscape professionals that you might hire. How do you know which one has the background and the knowledge that you might need um, and which one... I don't know, um, has just broken out into the field and might not have that background and experience. Yeah. Um, everyone tries to do the best they can with knowledge that they have, but our certification program lends um, a level of um, credential that lets people know that, hey, we know our stuff. Yeah, I think we have many different levels of contractors in the association, and not yes. to say that all of them are certified. But what the certification, you know, and I'm a certified nursery professional, and what I tend to find is, you know, you end up staying up on the most current things that are going on. And it's an avenue for, you know, just being in the association is a great avenue to get a lot of information funneled to you as a contractor or a nursery or whatnot. Though... If you want to learn more on top of that, getting certified is just a way to keep you above and beyond. And part of that certification is you don't just attend Melna events. You have to you end up doing other trade shows and you get credits from all different areas. Ongoing education. Absolutely. And, and folks that um, it, it cannot even apply for their certification um, until they've been doing this for a little while. Absolutely. It, it, it's pretty tough to, to it's a four-part exam, um, and, and it shows an extensive amount of knowledge in our field. Yeah, it's very, very diverse, and you have to know a lot of different things in order to really pass this test. It's quite extensive. Tell me a little bit about um, Melna and, you know, we've, we've done many charity projects over the years. Um, you know, one this year is especially, uh, you know, quite crucial to, to uh, you know, one of our past presidents, um, Mark Pendergast, who lost his daughter in a tragic accident uh, 
you know, not long ago. Mm. He, his, his, we are giving the part of the proceeds for our golf tournament mm-hmm. to help set up an, um, an education fund for Mark's daughter's uh, two children. Um, and that's something that's very near and dear to uh, the members of our organization who have known Mark for many years, and um, he has given selflessly to our organization. And what he has done is set up and organize many of our charity work days mm. each year. Um, last year, we did a project in Portland um, that was... Um, we landscaped a house for folks that cannot live completely on their own. It's a support house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right in Portland, and I'm very sorry, but I'm I'm passing on the name yeah, unfortunately well, uh, at this moment. But it, it was a wonderful program that we we went there and in one day transformed the landscape at that property. Yeah, and then the um, year the year before we were at the Sailable Palsy Center in Scarborough, you know, yes. we've worked at Maine Handicap Skiing, we've, you know, many, many different charities all across the state, and certainly any organizations that are interested and need help with landscaping, we're always looking for uh, groups to help out also. Yes, and, and Mark spearheads those charity days um, because of um, what he's been uh, dealing with this year within his family and his business. We, um, he's taking a break from it this year, but mm-hmm. for years he has gone out and individually solicited the uh, landscape planting material, um, a landscape design from one of the people within our membership, um, and put together the whole volunteer day. And in one day, uh, 30 to 50 of our members will show up with equipment, materials, plants, and completely it's it's like that television show where they transform a house right it's pretty fun when we go in there absolutely and uh, and it's it's a great busman's holiday for our members because we all get together and laugh and we know what we're doing no one has to be told we just grab the plan and just all get to work absolutely. it's a fun day absolutely so let's talk a little bit about norpine your your company tell me a little bit about where you are and, and what you do sure um, Norpine Landscape is based in Kingfield, Maine. Um, it was founded in 1984, so next year will be our 30th year in business. Um, our original focus was landscaping in the Sugarloaf and Rangeley areas. Mm-hmm. In 1987, um, a year after Sugarloaf had filed for bankruptcy, um, we transitioned our focus to a broader market base to sustain our yearly business. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, we began our work statewide. Um, focusing in the commercial, municipal, state, and federally funded sectors. We do a lot of DOT work. We Mm -hmm. do schools, uh, commercial developments. Um, But we still do uh, focus on residential work in the Rangeley, Sugarloaf, Farmington, and Belgrade Lakes regions. Um, We will go out of those areas. We have many times for people that we have a relationship with. But for the most part, we stay um, in the residential market locally. Mm-hmm. But our commercial and our state market focus is on hydro seeding, site stabilization, native plantings, um, mitigation plantings. So when when a big commercial development will go in, um, part of their mandate is they have to do something to compromise some of the native um, habitat to create their project. They'll have a mitigation site, an off-site area that they have to reclaim right. as part of their permit. And in that reclamation, they might go and take something that um, was a gravel pit or formerly a wetland, and they have to recreate that. And that's where we come in. 
um, we're the folks that know natives. Mm-hmm. We know all the native plants. We know their climates, what they want. Um, and so they'll call us in for our expertise on that. Um, well, tell me a little bit more about the hydro seeding because we have customers all the time that this is kind of a confusing area. We've got probably about three minutes, three or four minutes, um, and then we're going to wrap up the first hour here, and then we'll probably have you come back and, and finish up. But hydro seeding is, is kind of one of those things. Just explain to us the process and what people should kind of look out for. Sure, yeah. Hydro seeding is an application of grass seed fertilizer, lime, and mulch in a slurry mix, meaning with water. Mm-hmm. It's, pr- it's sprayed out over a prepared seed bed area. Um, the components of the seed mixture are oftentimes custom blended mm-hmm. um, into each tank load, and they're mixed with a su- sophisticated agitation system, so it comes out in a uniform blend, and then it's sprayed hydraulically out onto that given area. Um, so each site is different based on the project requirements. The, the advantage of hydro seeding is it's a very efficient way to seed large open areas and oftentimes areas that you can't physically get a different sort of piece of equipment on. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, our tank truck can shoot about 250 feet, um, and then we have a hose. So we can um, spray through a hose by getting off that tank truck and walking out and around. So that's a good way to get through um, tight areas that the truck might not be able to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a smaller trailer mount hydro seeder as well that can be backed into small um, areas. That's about a 750-gallon tank. The, the big hydro seeder is a 3,300-gallon tank. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can shoot large um, areas quickly. Okay. We can seed uh, 14 to 20 acres easily in a day. Wow. Uh, <laughs> which would be difficult to do with... Um, a tractor and a, and a fertilizer and seed spreader. Absolutely. Um, and and when you when you go out and seed maybe a big field with a tractor, you see a farmer doing that. They have to put everything down in individual steps. Right. We put it all in one load, mm-hmm. so you completely button up and and fix that area in in one and well oftentimes two steps because we use hay mulch a lot. Um, hay has an advantage of. Um, holding the slope a little better than a fiber mulch will. Mm -hmm. And um, it also has better moisture holding capacity for the seed. So during the germination period, after it's put down, um, it helps to keep the seed moist, Mm -hmm. um, which increases the germination rate. So oftentimes, hydro-seeded areas start to grow much more quickly than than a dry application. Absolutely, because you're you're adding that water, and you know that slurry right. is really you know binding to the seed. Um, exactly. How important is the prep work beforehand? Prep work in any aspect of landscaping is key, mm-hmm. um, and I I would dare guess with most every any trade that's that way. If you were to paint your house and not prepare the wall the walls beforehand, you'd have half the product in the end. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and with hydro seeding, we can we literally have made grass grow on rocks and telephone poles, even a car for a parade. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, but it so it'll grow for a while. But if the seed bed is not adequately prepared, long term it won't succeed. Right. Um, just like if you go and you, you buy a beautiful plant at your, your garden center mm-hmm. and go home and stick it in gravel without any amendments, um, that plant might look really nice for a little while, but long term it won't succeed in the same way that it would if you prepared a really nice bed for that plant to live in. What's usually your recommendation for depth of soil for a good uh, hydro seed job to take hold? I, when we spread out loam, when we do the mathematical formula for turf establishment, we figure 14 yards of loam 
per thousand square feet of surface area. So about four to six inches deep, depending mm-hmm. on what your grade's like. That's um, most customers don't have that at all. <laughs> right. I'm they sure, don't. you know, unfortunately, a lot of times customers, you know, buy a new home and the contractor stripped all the loam off of the, the site. And then we have to go back in and add all that loam back in. Exactly. And, and another thing that happens with us a lot, we get called in by homeowners that have purchased that house that's already been seeded. Right. And they'll say, how do I fix my lawn? And a program that we have gone over to heavily in the last, oh, five to eight years is we use a commercially prepared compost and we top dress existing lawns with compost. Mm-hmm. It's a terrific way to use a recycled product and it's um, a wonderful way to add organic matter to the area, moisture holding capacity, as well as raising the pH a little bit because most everywhere in the Northeast, the pH is a little bit low. Right, right. <clears throat> so That's, it does help to add that back in. Okay, we're, we're finishing up here. We've got a, a one more minute. We're going to bring you back after the break, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about hydroseeding and also uh, maybe some of these natives that uh, you've been talking about. Um, you, you know, Betty Ann, it, it always occurs to me that we don't necessarily use enough natives. And, you know, the whole mitigation and, and whatnot, it sounds like you really kind of um, specialize in this area and not a lot of landscape companies do. So we'll, we'll be back uh, with Betty Ann after the break, but we're going to finish up the first hour here. And it's been a great, great hour. Uh, Want to make sure if anybody has questions after we're done talking with Betty Ann, you can call us at 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. We're just wrapping up the first hour, an absolutely beautiful Saturday morning. Enjoy for the joy of gardening radio show. You can pick us up at estabrooksonline.com. WLOB Portland and WLOBradio.com. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook on this lovely Saturday morning. Cool temperatures, just great gardening weather. And we have Betty Ann Listwich from Norpine Landscaping. Welcome back, Betty Ann. Hi, Tom. So we were talking about hydroseeding in the end of the first hour there. And the question that always customers come to me about is, how do they know what type of seed a hydroseeding company is putting down? And, uh, you know, they're always concerned because, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are many contractors out there and some are not as ethical as others. Uh, Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the seed, you know, quality of seed and and what, you know, obviously, site by site, it's a little different. Sure. Well, 90% of the turf seed in our country is all grown in in the state of Oregon, Mm -hmm. in the Northwest. Um, and so it doesn't really matter where you go to purchase your seed in that it's all certified mm-hmm. and tested yearly through the distributors that distribute this seed. However, and the labels on the bag will tell you what's in the mix, that by law that has to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
those are those are regulated within the state of Maine. Department of Agriculture has inspect, inspections regularly. Um, the scales um, get tested to make sure that it's being weighed properly, mm-hmm. and that all throws back to our um, when uh, you know a century and a half ago in our agricultural days, all of these um, rules and regulations were established. However, the, the components of the mix are key, and unfortunately. That's where the less than reputable distribution can happen in that they sort of take advantage of people's lack of knowledge of the different um, species within a grass mix. Because you do want a grass mix. You don't want a monoculture. If something happens that comes along and bothers one of the particular components in your turf, you don't want to lose your entire lawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, a good lawn mix will be heavy in bluegrass, which is lush and soft. It's what you like to walk through barefoot on a hot summer day. Um, it's, uh, it dies out if it isn't mown. So it's not really a good component in a field mixture, which only gets mowed once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's um, your rye grasses. There's perennial and annual rye. Um, perennial come back every year. Uh, annual only live for the first year. Annual ryegrass is very inexpensive, and oftentimes it's used to hold something temporarily until other mixes, other components in the mix will come in and fill in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you have to watch out when you look at that bag of grass seed or you talk to your contractor and they have something that's 50 or 60 or 70% annual rye, you're not getting a great product there. And maybe that's what you want because maybe there's something else that you want in a year or two to come along. Right. And- However... A good mix won't have much of that, and it'll have five percent annual rye. Yeah, it seems to me like the the problem that we run into, and obviously we're dealing primarily with the residential market, right. is new homes. You know, yes. there a lot of times the contractor is requesting a contractor mix, which right. tends to have a fair amount of annual seed in it, and exactly. it's cheap, it's inexpensive, it comes up quickly, mm-hmm. it looks great yep. when they sell the home, but sure it does. But then it creates a problem for the <clears throat> homeowner long term. Yes, and and the perennial, perennial rye oftentimes will winter kill in 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 Maine, um, and so that can be an issue. Mm-hmm. In the wrong year, a lot of your perennial rye will die out. Perennial rye is used heavily in playfield mixes because it's um it's very tough. It handles cleats and, mm-hmm. and everything, so it has its place. Again, in a in a residential lawn application, I wouldn't go that heavily in perennial rye. Mm-hmm. Then there's a third general component in most turf um, mixes, uh, fescue. Mm-hmm. Creeping fescues, low-growing fescues are a soft, tiny-bladed grass that um, thrives in shade or less than wonderful conditions, but it grows in small tufts. So it's um, in, by itself is not always um, the best component in an open, sunny area. However, I will <clears throat> put a plug in for a custom mix <clears throat> that I use, mm-hmm. that I developed with our agronomist about 10 years ago. We call it a Lomo mix. So we use it a lot in residential homes where people aren't there that much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's um, a blend of five different types of low-growing fescue. Mm-hmm. Um, again, fescue, it, it doesn't matter if you mow it, but you should mow it about once or twice a year just to keep any tree seed that's blowing into your yard from overtaking. However, it looks soft and lush, and it matures at about five inches in height. So your lawn doesn't look like a forgotten hayfield when right. you're not there at your <laughs> camp for months on end. Absolutely. So it's, an, it's a nice mix that tolerates shade um, and tolerates lack of care. It, the downside of, a, of our Lomo is that you can't have a party on it every weekend or it will fade out. 
it, it doesn't like a lot of foot traffic. It doesn't like the compaction or, or whatnot. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so each each of those general mix components of a of a turf mix brings something different to the table. And depending on how you intend to use your yard is what you should be talking with your landscape contractor about. Okay, so let's wrap up kind of the discussion uh, on turf with the last couple questions. Number sure. one, how often should people water? And number two, when should they feed after hydroseeding? Okay, that's, those are both great questions. Um, watering is a moving target based on local environmental conditions. Mm-hmm. It isn't a one-size-fits-all answer like most landscapes right. um, tend to be. There's no set answer for them. However, depending, if you have um, requirements as far as, if, if you're talking about watering for establishment, it, you should water daily with turf. Okay. Um, if you aren't going to water, water daily and continue to water daily, don't start. Your turf will grow. Grass seed's incredibly resilient. Mm-hmm. If you've got a good mix down, you, it will grow. It will, it will fill in and establish um, irregularly based on the existing moisture and sun that the, the turf gets. However, it will fill in and it will grow. Uh, so long as the seed is still physically sitting there and it hasn't been lifted and shifted and washed away, mm-hmm. it will eventually germinate and grow. Turf seed's amazing. Um, what, the worst thing you can do as a homeowner is start watering, water faithfully for two weeks, and then stop. Because those poor little plants, the heads of them aren't big enough to shade their roots. Right. And if we get into one of those weeks like we had last week, <laughs> you will probably lose a good part of your lawn. Yeah, and you probably couldn't water enough last week. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and what was the second? And oh, the basically, yeah. when when should we feed? You know, and what mm-hmm. you know, should we use a root stimulating fertilizer the first time we feed, or you know, what type of of uh, you know time frame and, and right. what to use? Well, okay, fertilizer is an important component that's oftentimes overlooked. Um, Basically, all plants need three basic components to grow. They need sunlight, they need nutrients, and they need water. And um, so with the nutrient portion, hopefully you've you've had your contractor spread some pretty decent loam around your yard. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe he's added compost to it to make sure that those nutrients are there. But to jumpstart the establishment when the seed is put down, fertilizer is a key element. And it can be a phosphorus-free fertilizer, especially if you're near a body of water, that's fine. Sure. We have enough naturally occurring phosphorus in our soil in Maine that you don't need a phosphorus fertilizer. Um, however, the nitrogen, which is for the top growth of the plant, um, the first number in that fertilizer mix, mm-hmm. um, is, is a key element. And you want a pound to a pound and a half of nitrogen for your turf. Um, with each application. And fertilizer, a regular fertilizer that if you went to the local um, farm uh, supply store or maybe your garden center or to Allen Sterling and Lothrop or someone like that, you would pick up a bag of fertilizer that might be um, 10-10-10, 5 5-10-10, 20-10-10. They all have those three numbers. Your nitrogen is your first number. Your phosphorus is your second number. That's for your root development. Your third number, um, NPK, potassium, is for general plant health. But for, for turf, what we're looking for is the top growth. So that nitrogen is a key component. That lasts about eight weeks in your soil. Mm-hmm. So about six to eight weeks after your turf gets seeded, 
um, and you've been watering faithfully, you might look out and notice, oh, it looks kind of pale, mm. looking a little pale. Well, that's because it's starting to, it has used up, it's exhausted the nitrogen, it's time to give it a little bit more. Now, let's say it's one of those days, like it was last week, it's 100 degrees out, don't fertilize your lawn then. Right. You're going to lose a terrific amount to evapor- evaporate, evaporative loss up mm-hmm. into the atmosphere. So uh, volatization is the other term. So you you don't want to put that down unless you know that it's going to rain right afterwards. That's the best time to fertilize. It's the best bang for your dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, as we all know, fertilizer is a petroleum product, um, and it's expensive. So you don't want to waste it. Costs are not going down. They are not going down. <laughs> Um, and particularly in a new lawn, it's important to make sure that you spend that little extra money because you've spent a lot of time and money putting that lawn in. So it's important to put a second application down and oftentimes even a third application. Um, we try not to fertilize um, too heavily or maybe do a dormant fertilization late in the fall, but um, we, we fertilize once or twice on newly seeded lawns each season. Okay. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about native landscapes because this is becoming a bigger trend. It's been something that kind of, you know, people say they want. And then Mm -hmm. we tend to find in the garden center they end up reverting to more showy things. But uh, tell me a little bit about how you use natives. I know you do a lot of mitigation work, you know, on the commercial side. But how are you working natives into, say, your residential landscapes? I use them heavily. It's a, it oftentimes, particularly in Maine, you know, I've, I've been at this for quite a while, and, and I know when, when I was first landscaping, people wanted yews, they wanted rhododendrons, they wanted plants that they had known as a child. Those were very popular mm-hmm. um, growing up. They were a traditional landscape plan. Um, and, and I sort of have come around full circle because... I've lived up in the in the mountains of Maine for so long that a lot of those plants, people would move to the Sugarloaf or Rangeley areas and say, oh, but I really want a nice big rhododendron. And I'd say, I know <laughs> you want one, but it'll never be a nice big rhododendron up here. Right. <laughs> it does, they, they, they aren't native up here. You will fight to keep that plant looking nice. It is a situation of right plant, right place. A native hybrid would be rhodora. Mm-hmm. Canadensis, which mm-hmm. is Canadian rhododendron. And folks on the coast are very familiar with it. They walk through it when they walk in the, the park of Acadia, or I, I'm not sure if there's a lot of it out near Two Lights, but it's I've a got beautiful some plant. Beautiful Rhodora Canadensis in my backyard. Uh, you? you know, beautiful, kind of moist areas, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. really, really beautiful in the spring. Lavender flower. Um, yeah. Just just a, a wonderful plant and kind of something that just shows up all of a sudden, and most people don't even know what it is. Exactly, exactly. Oh, it's that green leafy thing. Yep, yeah, it is. Yeah, one of um, those. <laughs> the, yeah, so there's a, there's a native example of a, a more showy cousin that was developed south of here. Mm-hmm. Um, Calmia latifolia mm-hmm. um, is another very nice one, mountain laurel. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lovely native plant, um, Mirica. Mirica pensylvatica, um, which is um, bayberry. Uh, Mirica gale, which is its cousin, sweet gale, which grows right. along the um, banks of lakes all around Maine. <clears throat> Beautiful, simple, um, low-growing plant that allows you to look out at your waterfront property, and it's holding your bank the whole time, keeping your shoreline stable. So it's a lovely plant. Um, and you are right. A lot of people tend to go towards a more showy 
um, plant if they have they have their hard-earned dollars and they want something right in their yard up front and center. Um, they want to have something that really stands out. Um, what I will do a lot is I'll do a backdrop of, of Canadian hemlock, mm-hmm. the canadensis. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes a beautiful green curtain and then plant something nice and showy right in front of it like a wajila. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or a spirea. Uh, so I try to mix and match in, in a residential application, give people that show and that pizzazz, maybe some nice herbaceous plants. Perennials are wonderful for summer show. And then the, the, the plants that are going to survive the cold winter winds and maybe the salt spray from the ocean will be those natives that um, for centuries have existed happily in our state <clears throat> and will give the homeowner, a minimal amount of maintenance. That's the beauty of using natives is long-term. You plant them and you walk away and mm. they're happy. Yeah, I, um, blueberries are a prime example of, oh, you know, yeah. just a, a, a plant that we can't sell enough. I mean, people are mm-hmm. using them for replacements for burning bush and other fall color mm-hmm. type items. You know, they right. have the wonderful fruit, high in antioxidants, you know, yes. just all around, you know, a main plant. And their their blossoms are beautiful in the spring, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and their 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 branches are, have a reddish hue to them. Um, they're a wonderful plant. So, um, Betty Ann, tell tell me how can people contact you? Do you have a website or? I do. Um, www.norpine n o r p i n e landscape dot com. Betty Ann, thanks and so I much. I also have a Facebook page. Ah, Facebook. We love the Facebook. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. want to thank you for coming on. Hopefully, we can have you on again. Um, you know, always Thanks good. For having me. Always good to hear about Melna, and uh, also very interesting uh, about what you've got going on in your company. Glad I could help. And if folks are listening and they have specific questions, they can reach me via email through my website. Um, feel free to shoot questions to me um, regarding native plants or seeding questions. We do quite a bit of seeding work in the Portland area. Mm. So if folks are interested in hydro seeding and they have a residential application, we can quote that. Uh, Jim is our estimator, and I'd be happy to put them in touch with him, and he can give them a direct quote. And um, for turf-specific questions or horticultural-specific questions, I'm always available. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Betty Ann. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. What's better than one new plant in your garden this summer? How about two? Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk has tons of magnificent plants that are now buy one, get one free. Choose from perennials, roses, rhododendrons, lilacs, blueberries, ground covers, and many more. With so many plants at the height of their summer beauty, it's a great time to get back into the garden and do some planting. Don't know where to start? The garden pros at Estabrooks can help. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Whether you're visiting for the summer or enjoying a vacation at home, the last thing you want to do is waste precious time, especially in the garden. Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk makes decorating your home with beautiful plants quick and easy. They've got a great selection and great people here. I can always find what I need. It's just a wonderful place to shop. It's right down the road for me, too, so that makes it convenient. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Mespoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food, and you can use it for everything you plant. 
Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The Secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com slash videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella's Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earth life compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutrimulch is nutrient stabilized with compost so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook. Great interview there with Betty Ann Listowich from Norpine Landscaping. Uh, absolutely great, great wealth of knowledge on natives and or, uh, you know, hydroceding. They do a wonderful job. They do a lot of work down in the Portland area, so don't worry about the distance. If you have a uh, job you're looking for hydroceding this fall, they would be a great, great option. Um Absolutely stunning out there. Great weather to sleep. Not a cloud in the sky. Great weekend for some gardening or enjoying out in the yard in general. Cook up the barbecue, you know, get things going, have a little mojito on the back deck. Uh, I'm going to enjoy my weekend for sure. If you have a question, don't hesitate to call 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. And uh, we've got a bunch of other questions. Uh, We've got a question here from Sarah from Yarmouth, and her question is, My Endless Summer is in full bloom in this heat. Many of the blossoms passed uh, because she couldn't keep it moist. Uh, Her question is, is it in too much sun? I can't seem to keep it hydrated. And also, should I fertilize again to promote more blossoming uh, the rest of the fall? She had fertilized about two weeks ago. So, Sarah, my question uh, or my answer, I guess, on endless summer is they took it really tough in that summer heat. Anytime you have endless summer in more of a full bloom, you know, those blue hydrangeas, they just really have a big leaf. And a lot of times you can be watering, but the plant still wilts during the middle of the day. That will damage some of the blossoms. So misting down the foliage a little bit with some water will help uh, take some of that stress away. But you're inevitably going to probably lose a few blossoms. So pruning those off at this time is a good scenario for that. And, you know, I would probably hold off on the fertilizer. Usually my last fertilization recommendation is around August 1st. And where you 
just fertilized a week or 10 days ago in that summer heat time frame, I probably would just say, let's just let Mother Nature do their thing now. Taking off some of the blossoms will allow the plant to branch, and probably what will happen is you'll set another set of flower buds for probably September bloom. Now, like we had talked with Alan earlier, you know, sometimes you don't get that second set of bloom due to the fact of our season's quite quite short. It sounds like you've been fertilizing along the way, uh, like we've been talking about throughout the shows. Uh, so I'd be patient. I'd take the spent blossoms off, and then the next set of blossoms, leave them on for the winter. Don't prune the last set of blossoms off. Leave those seed pods on there. Adds a little interest for the winter and also protects the stem from frost damage in the winter months. So I hope that helps, Sarah. Um, Great question. One that will keep coming up time and time again. Uh, New varieties of blue hydrangeas coming for next year, too. I'm not going to talk too much about them. We've mentioned them on the show might be a little bit more reliably bloom hardy here in Maine. Uh, Endless Summer has been a great addition, a much better, better situation than, you know, the old Nico Blue. Uh, unfortunately, we just cannot get them to, to bloom like they can down in on the Cape or Nantucket. It's just, we're just a little bit too far north. Now, the new ones that are coming out, I'm pretty impressed so far. What I've seen, they set flower buds very readily on their new growth and will have a lot more information being hybridized and released by the same folks at Bailey's Nursery that released Endless Summer. It's just they're continuing to get better varieties off the thousands of plants that they grow. So, you know, new hybrids, they're crossing things. It looks like it's going to be a good plant, but only time will tell. And Maine is a great, great place to test. And of course, coming from Minnesota, they have the opposite of what we have. They heat up much quicker than we do. We stay nice and cool and temperate all the way into July, typically. And they go from literally 32 degrees to 80 degrees in a matter of a couple weeks. Their night temperatures still can be quite cool, but their day temperatures warm up much quicker. They get that lake effect uh, right there in Minnesota, and it makes a big difference with the bud set on Endless Summer. So we can't have the best of all worlds here in Maine, but we got it pretty nice out there right now. We've got another question. It's from Andrew in Wyndham. And his question is, when is it time to start dividing perennials and or moving shrubs? I have some fall some fall moving to do and want to get started right away with this cool temperatures that we're having now. A little early, Andrew. Uh, I wouldn't recommend doing too much quite yet. Uh, most of the things are really full of foliage right now. They're really actively growing. We've had a lot of warm weather, and we've also had a lot of moisture. So the plants have kind of with these cooler temperatures have set themselves up for another growth period. So my suggestion is probably about the third week of August is typically what I recommend. Now, if we go into a dry period here and we have nice, beautiful summer weather and we don't tend to get a lot of moisture, my suggestion is about three to four days before you start transplanting, water everything extremely well. Get deep watering into those plants, you know, even if you have to make a water well or a moat around some of the plants that you need to transplant. Fill those moats up with water and saturate them for two or three days before you plan to move. That will allow all the root systems to be very, very moist. When you go to transplant them, they'll have a lot less 
root you know shock and or transplant shock so you can start prepping you know cut down on your fertilizer you don't really want to feed if you're going to go ahead and and, uh, you know move and then you may consider at this time doing some root pruning on any trees or shrubs Uh, just take a, a spade and go down and cut some of those roots that will over the next three or four weeks provide a much more fibrous root system close to the plant typically spade about as wide as the plant top growth is and that will help promote and then give a few extra waterings so you'll kind of set yourself up for success the bigger the plant the more important root pruning becomes Um, you know certainly the sooner you know in a season that you're going to go ahead and transplant the better um, to do that root pruning so, Andrew, I hope that helps. Uh, it's it's definitely getting to be that time. I know these cooler temperatures, you know, I'm going to get out there and plant some perennials. I'm going to get out there and do, you know, some, some tree and shrub plantings. And we've got a question from Beth and Kittery. My apple trees are loaded with apples. Um, and, and I ran into this also. My trees were just loaded with apples. But I'm worried that they will break. The weight of the apples are really starting to, you know, bend the branches. And what should I do to support the branches or should I pick some of the fruit off? My trees are five years old and are looking wonderful. Beth, you're in that in that danger zone. You're at five years. You've probably been picking a year or two maybe. You know, you're just starting to pick. But at this time, I would probably recommend you thin the apples. Um, The tree is not old enough and doesn't have enough branching structure to hold a tremendous amount of weight. So my suggestion is let's sacrifice some of the apples. Um, Let's go in and take maybe a third, maybe two-thirds of the apples, depending on how many. That will allow your apples to size up. You'll get bigger apples. They'll be a little bit better quality. Uh, the plant will put more nutrients and into those apples that you keep on. And your overall fruit will be much, much better. The other thing is the tree will go ahead and have that much more uh, energy to put to its leaf growth and also to its you know girth in its branches. So, you know... it. You can't really go wrong by taking some of the apples other than you're not going to have as much fruit. But you're at that time frame, five years. The last thing you want is for these trees to break because you're setting yourself back five years. So it's really, really important that you do something. Now, if you want to keep all the apples, you can support with some, you know, two-by-fours. You can do a whole lot of things. My concern with that is, if we get a heavy windstorm, it doesn't matter how many two-by-fours, doesn't how many ropes or, or contraptions you do. If we get one bad storm when those apples get big, you're going to break a bunch of branches and we're going to be back to square one. The other thing we want to talk about is pruning. We probably want to do some aggressive pruning probably this winter to stiffen up those plants, take some of the growth away, be able to get those branches to size up a little bit more to support more weight. If you haven't been pruning along the way, it's probably time that we do an aggressive prune for this winter to promote better branching and also more plant stability uh, for next year. So I hope that helps, Beth. Uh, Great question, one that middle of the summer, 
we're all just going about business, uh, having fun, going to the beach, doing a little gardening, and you look out and, boy, those apple trees are all hanging down. Uh, hopefully, we got to your question before you had any problems. I know we had a lot of rain, um, you know, and hopefully we made it through. The um, We're going to take a quick break at this point. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, the lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook. On this lovely Saturday morning, we've been answering a bunch of questions that have been sent into our website, but you can call if you have a question, 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. You can pick up the podcast at estabrooksonline.com or listen to us live at wlobradio.com. We've got uh, another question here from Melanie from Standish, and her question is, I'm looking for a plant to plant a tree this fall. When can I plant? And I'm looking for something different. I have a lot of maples and ash and common plants around my home, but I have plenty of space, and I want something different. Melanie, you can plant tomorrow. It's beautiful weather out there to plant a tree. The only difference really is water, okay? The nice part about planting a tree at this time of year is we get a lot of time to establish roots before fall, okay? I know it's hot out there some days. This is beautiful weather. Something to consider is put your plants in now, 
okay? It's all about water. They're at the nursery. We're watering them every day. All you have to do is water your plants, okay? So any planting you want to do, tree shrubs, perennials, roses, it's a perfect time. And this weather is the right time. Cool temperatures down in the 60s. Warm temperatures by day is a perfect condition for plants to root. Now, this time of year, they will put on a bunch of top growth. They'll put on leaves and branches and, you know, all kinds of nice top growth. But they have put on the majority of their growth at this point in the nursery. They are now slowing down. Now they're starting to root. They're starting to put on roots because we have cooler temperatures at night. We're going to probably go through some more hot spells. But the trick is to get them in the ground as soon as you possibly can. The earlier, the better. And what happens is as we approach fall and those cooler temperatures at night and cooler temperatures during the day, the plant will put on more and more and more root system. So now is the time. The time to plant any of these plants is when the shovel is in your hand. Okay, you can plant any time of year. It does not matter. As long as the ground is not frozen, you know, or too wet, you can go ahead and plant. So, some options for you for something different. I was looking around the nursery and kind of looking at some of the different things that I love. And beech trees, to me, are always a nice option. You know, options from tricolor beech to purple beech to fern leaf beech. A very, very big plant. One that is going to give you a lot of different textures and colors not only fall, but during the summer with a purple leaf beach, to also unbelievable, nice structure in the winter months. So that's a great option. A Tupelo or uh, Nissa Sylvatica, there's a new one that we're selling called Wildfire. The new growth right now has red leaves all over it. In the spring, it's nice green foliage, really nice shape. Uh, just a fabulous, fabulous tree. Fall color is brilliant. Red oranges. Overall, very, very hardy tree. Easy. Okay. Horse chestnut. Very old-fashioned plant. You know, we have uh, varieties that have nice pink blossoms. Uh, really kind of a nice old-fashioned plant. A great tree if you want a tree for kids to to be able to climb later on in life. Um, you know, I'm a big kid at heart. I love the shape of a horse chestnut. It has that big outward branching habit. Uh, the fruit sometimes can be a little bit, you know, of a, of a pain long term if you're mowing underneath it, uh, but great for attracting wildlife also. Plenty of feed for the squirrels. It'll, they'll stay right away from your bird feeders if you, if you have a big horse chestnut out on the lawn. And then oaks are another one. You know, I know they're quite common here in southern Maine, but, you know, if you add a pin oak or a scarlet oak, you know, a really nice, nice old oak tree is really something that is just phenomenal. And then one of my favorites, a ginkgo. Okay, ginkgo is almost bulletproof. It's the first plant that popped up after Hiroshima bombs went off and very resilient. Uh you know, a, a very Japanese look, something very unique. The uh, leaf structure is just a fabulous plant, great yellow fall color. And then a, a cool part to this plant is it drops all of its leaves in one day. 
So when a ginkgo decides it's going to drop all its leaves, it drops all of its leaves. So a great option, uh, you know, and something different, you know, a little bit smaller grower, a little bit slower grower, uh, but from afar, just a fabulous, fabulous tree. So Melanie, I hope you get into the garden center, whatever garden center you're going to pick up a tree, get it in the ground, perfect weather. It is time. Uh, So, you know, let's talk a little bit about fall planting because we're approaching that time. Fall is a great time to plant. And, you know, like I've said, you know, the time to plant is when the shovel is sharp. (laughs) Um, One thing I will say right now, perennials. Perennials, focus on perennials right now. Number one, this is our last weekend for the buy one, get one free perennial promotion. It's gone. It's gone at the end of business on Sunday. So get into the garden center. Take advantage of that. It's been a wonderful promotion. Customers are just enjoying. The plants are huge. They're big. They're beautiful. Again, we've got those hosta that just are ready. They're absolutely fabulous. But take a look at the trees and shrubs. We'll be getting a new load of trees and shrubs. All our fall inventory is going to be start arriving very, very soon. We typically start bringing it in in August. So if you want good selection for your fall planting, the time to start is around August 1st. The time to get into the garden center and talk to us about what you want and what you need is now. Start making your requests because if we don't know what you want, we can't buy it and we can't provide it to you. We have been doing orders over the last few weeks, getting ready, you know, but you may have a special plant you want. So now is the time to start requesting that. We'll be putting orders together over the next few weeks, but get into the garden center. Email us, contact us, call us, fill out a request form so that we know what you're looking for, and then we can contact you and get you some pricing and whatnot. But fall is a great time to plant, and now is fall. I I mean, it's summer. I mean, it's time to start planting. So get into the garden center. You know, uh, these temperatures are perfect. So let's talk a little bit more about some questions here. Uh, We've got Sean from Pownell, and he has a perennial hibiscus, and they look amazing. My perennial hibiscus at my house are about three feet tall. They've got buds all over them. They're looking amazing. He planted them last summer, and they have huge buds all over them. I'm getting some yellow leaves, and the plant is not happy. Should I fertilize, or what should I do? I also have ornamental grass, and they also are browning up at the base. Am I doing something wrong? Well, I don't think you're really doing anything wrong, Sean. I think what's happened is probably with all this heavy rain, a lot of the hibiscus are starting to bleach out. They need a little bit more feed. Now, I want to be cautious because I don't want to feed too much here. So we may look at maybe adding some liquid iron to the plant. That will green up the plant without fertilizing. Uh, If you have a light, light fertilizer like plant tone, you might do half the rate just to green it up. But I don't want to push a lot of growth at this point. Perennial hibiscus do not like a lot of nutrients late in the season. It really affects how they overwinter. Luckily, we're still early enough where it's not really a problem. Uh, But once we get kind of to mid-August, I would say, no, let's just deal with the yellow leaves and we'll be fine. 
If you want, also, you could give a light fertilization, a foliar feed, um, you know, with a product like Neptune's Harvest. Spray down the foliage that will enter into the leaves and help green up also without really adding a lot more moisture and or not adding a lot more nutrients to the soil. You also could take a bag of cow manure or compost and put it around the base. That would naturally feed also. So all kinds of good options. Now, when the grasses... My concern is that they aren't getting enough water. We went through a very, very hot period here, uh, and grasses, when we start to see browning at the base, that is typically a big, big sign that they probably got on the dry side during the heat. Not really a huge concern. Let's pick up the water to them. No need for fertilizer on grasses right now unless they're really off color, but pick up the water on them. I know we've had a fair amount of moisture, but those grasses tend not to get a lot of moisture into the crown. And the root system's grass is typically almost the foliage sheds the water to the outside. So if you're in a sandier soil, get some extra water in there. I think what will happen is you'll find the tops will become more erect. They'll actually green up and then maybe we'll just go in and clip off some of that brown and you'll be in a much, much better situation. If you have a question, don't hesitate to call 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. We are finishing up the second hour. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella's Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earth-life compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earth-Life Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. What's better than one new plant in your garden this summer? How about two? Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk has tons of magnificent plants that are now buy one, get one free. Choose from perennials, roses, rhododendrons, lilacs, blueberries, ground covers, and many more. With so many plants at the height of their summer beauty, it's a great time to get back into the garden and do some planting. Don't know where to start? The garden pros at Estabrooks can help. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks, for the joy of gardening. Whether you're visiting for the summer or enjoying a vacation at home, the last thing you want to do is waste precious time, especially in the garden. Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk makes decorating your home with beautiful plants quick and easy. They've got a great selection and great people here. I can always find what I need. It's just a wonderful place to shop. It's right down the road for me, too, so that makes it convenient. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook. On a beautiful Saturday morning, I hope everybody's enjoying themselves. Have a cup of coffee, maybe a little breakfast, enjoying the radio show. If you have a question, don't hesitate to call 775-1310 or 877-393-8255. A few more questions that we've had submitted. Uh, one, crabgrass. I hope all of you are looking at your lawn because now is the time. I can't stress this enough. Now is the time. 
for crabgrass prevention, okay? Not only for this year, but for next year, okay? Now is the time to start. And I have a question from Craig. Crabgrass is taking over my lawn. What do I do, and how do I do it? (laughs) He is very frustrated uh, with the fact that you know, we've had some serious heat, and crabgrass loves heat. It typically likes dry also. But with all this rain we've had, we had nice rain, dry heat, and humidity, and now we're in cooler temperatures, which is perfect for crabgrass to germinate and start to take hold. How do you know if you have crabgrass? Just go outside and look at your lawn. Typically along the warmest parts, whether it be along a patio, along your walkway, along the road, along your driveway. Those are typically the the places they start. Now it spreads quite quickly throughout, you know, because every time we mow, we spread the seed. You will see a wide, light green blade that looks like grass. It's going horizontal in shape or it may just be half an inch high right now. That is crabgrass, okay? And when it's in that short, small, adult stage, it does not have the seed pod that comes out and kind of looks like a spider web almost. Now is the time to treat that. The way I treat that is with a liquid herbicide, okay, for crabgrass. It will not kill your grass, you also can get one that will also take out broadleaf weeds. So you can do a combination at the same time. Organically, there really isn't a great option for crabgrass at this time of year. Okay, Corn gluten is something that you can put down. It will feed and help protect, but it really needs to happen a little bit later in the season. Is it a good option? It doesn't always work the way we want it to. With the liquids, we can spot treat and do very specific areas and not treat the whole lawn. So we're using limited limited herbicide and only treating the worst spot. Now, this weather is perfect because what we want is we want to spray that and then we want it to dry on the blade of grass. So today is a perfect, perfect time. We've got rain possibly coming tomorrow and Monday to get that down. And what it really will do is it will knock it out before it sets seed. Now, if your crabgrass in your yard doesn't set seed for next spring, you will have very little crabgrass. So now, to me, is even more important than having to do a pre-emergent application in the spring or more liquid in the spring. You will knock down the amount of crabgrass you have in your lawn tenfold. Okay, so now is the time to applicate for that. The other thing is it allows you to overseed your lawn this fall and get more grass established so that you have more weed competition for next year. And you'll have to do less watering on that seed in order to get it established. So now is the time to start prepping your lawn for that overseed. So crabgrass very aggressive. It's going to be throwing its seed for next year in the next few weeks. Be proactive and do it now. Get out there and take care of that problem now. The longer you wait, the more likelihood it will set seed and throw its seed. 
even though you might spray it, it's not going to get the seed factor. It's just going to get the adult. Crabgrass is an annual grass. It will die this winter, this fall when it gets frosted. So now is why is the reason if you do it now and kill the adult plant, it never gets a chance to seed. So you're killing next year's plant also. So if you're going to use an herbicide, this is the best and most effective time to do that and get it taken care of. Absolutely best time. Great question. Come on into the garden center. We have two or three different options for products. We can talk you through that, how to use them, how to mix them, what to use, what time of day, how, what the conditions are. But right now is the time to act. And we have the last question of the day. This one's a tough one. And this is from Glenn. I have arterial fungus in my bark mulch. Help. What do I do? It's on my house. It's on my car. For all of you folks that don't know what arterial fungus is, it's a natural growing fungus on bark mulch. And it's a little cup-shaped fungus. And what it does is it throws these little black spores. And it can throw them 15, 20 feet. And it's naturally occurring. It's not something that the bark mulch companies have any control over. Its perfect conditions are what make arterial fungus show up. Not to say you're going to have it year in and year out. It can show up one year and be gone the next. It does. It definitely probably wasn't in the bark mulch when you put it down. It's just the natural conditions of our weather. We've had perfect conditions with good moisture, long stints of heat and humidity, which fungi love to grow in all those conditions. So it's a tough one. How do you clean it? Now, I did a little research online and Penn State, Cornell, all these wonderful schools that do a lot of research on this type of stuff all basically came back and said, it's pretty tough. Most of my research showed, you know, you can do a three to one rate of bleach to water and scrub, scrub, scrub. So really, really hard, but uh, it's the best you can do. Um, Arterial fungus is something that naturally occurs not really anything you can do about it. So, you know, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. My suggestion is if you have an area that is idle with bark mulch, cultivate that bark mulch periodically. Get some air within the bark mulch, even if you just take an iron rake and just kind of turn it over periodically when we hit these kind of stints of weather. That will help get aeration into the bark mulch and not create as much fungi growing conditions. So arterial fungus, a very tough one, one we have questions all the t- every single year. A few people talk to us. You know, we're going to wrap up the show here. We've got a couple minutes left, and we've got all kinds of things going on at Estbrooks. We've got our yard sale, August 3rd. So I want to talk a little bit. We started off the show with that. Unbelievable, good, good event. Our Yarmouth store has a traditional yard sale where all our employees can bring in things, you know, from their homes. Great way. You never know what you're going to find. I've got a bunch of antiques. There's going to be some TV cabinets and all kinds of different things that are going to be there. The other thing is we're going to be having specials within all three stores. Okay. Now we haven't 
figured those out yet. So you can't ask me. You can't ask me what we're going to do. The other thing is the buy one, get one perennial special ends on Sunday. So come and check that out. And lastly, I am excited because we've been able to, by changing the time to 7 to 9, we have a lot more people who want to get up and be on the show. So in the next few weeks, we're going to have Tim Lindsay from Bartlett Tree back. We're also going to have Lisa Colburn from the Maine Garden Journal. She's going to be joining us. And we're going to have Paul from Johnny Select Seed, who's also going to be joining us talking about new seed for next year. We've got Kat from the Maine School Garden Network and talking to them about what's going on in the schools and how they're getting kids involved in, in uh, gardening. We're going to have Mike from MJ Story Landscaping talking about how to revitalize your rock walls. And Art from Bonide. So many, many more guests. I hope you enjoy your Saturday. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. WLOB Portland and WLOBradio.com.